Hey everyone and welcome to the Living with Power Hope podcast. My name is Lena Abajamra and I am so excited that you came back to this podcast. If it's your first time here, you came at the right time. We have been doing a leadership series, but we're going to step away from it for the next six weeks. The reason is that we need to focus on fearlessness. We're living in the coronavirus crisis and many of us are still living at home in a shelter in place situation and our anxieties and our fears are going up. But we know as Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, that there is a better way to live. It is a way of faith and fearlessness. And so we looked in our archives and found a six-message series that I've taught at Judson University here in Chicago. I think you're going to love it. Each message is about 30, 35 minutes long. We're going to do one a week for the next six weeks, and then we'll resume our leadership podcast. Hey, as we've thought about you and prayed over you, we believe that you might also enjoy our uh, new community page. Basically, it's a Living With Power Facebook page in which I teach live every Thursday from 7 to 8. We'd love for you to be a part of it. All you have to do is go to our website, the livingwithpower.org website, and as soon as you land there, you'll see a box that says join our community. Click on it and join our community. Uh, Then on Thursdays at 7, log in and you'll see me there live. We love what's happening there. God is moving in hearts. Hey, if you want to live without fear, you get together with God's people, study his word, and see him break through the chains of fear in your life. For today, let's take the next 30 minutes, meditate on God's word, and see how he might use his word to cause us to live in confidence that he who brought us this far is going to get us through it. I love you guys, and I'll catch you at the end of this. So today we're speaking about being fearlessly in love. I called it when love feels scary as heck or whatever you want to fill in that blank. Because listen, love is scary. And again, as we've done every session that we've met, we open God's word because God's word addresses every single aspect of our life and thoughts and ideas and relationship. And so today we're looking at love and we're looking at it from the eyes of King David. Many of you know King David. He's the greatest king of Israel. There's a hotel named after him. This man was something. He wasn't perfect, but he was awesome. He was called a man after God's own heart. And in 2 Samuel, if you have your Bibles, turn over there to chapter 9. We see David doing something radical. And it might not seem such a big deal maybe in our modern eyes, but I want you to kind of let the story sink in as we walk through it. And I give you again, how many principles today? Three, we're going to do three principles. Someone came up to me at lunch yesterday and says, wait, I missed Tuesday. How, what were the three points? And I was like, man, I should have thought ahead. I should have given you like a handout or something with the principles. If you want to know what you missed, just email me. I'll send you the outlines. Maybe I'll have them on Instagram later today. But listen, three points again. Here's the first one, and we're going to get into the text, but write this down if you're into writing. It's an action before it's a feeling. It's an action before it's a feeling. We're talking about love. So David said in verse 1 of chapter 9 of 2 Samuel, he said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And and if you write down in your Bible, circle or underline that word, that I may show him. You see, love is an action before it's a feeling. And you see, what was happening here was so radical because David was now the new king of Israel. And listen, Saul was the original king of Israel. He was the first king of Israel, and he started off well but finished badly. So much so that God said, no more kings from the line of Saul. So remember, Saul had a son named Jonathan, and even Jonathan recognized that. And Jonathan and David were best friends, and Jonathan died in battle, and he had a son. But David wasn't aware. And now, I don't know how many of you are like into Game of Thrones, so you know like, like everyone kills everyone from the other line. Because what could happen is that at some point down the road, someone could rise up from that other family and usurp the kingdom. That is normal kingly behavior back in that day. 
And yet something radical is happening here. Here's King David who's like, of all the people in the world, I want to know who of Saul's line and Jonathan's line I can extend love to. And see, I don't know about you, but it's easy for me to love those that I like. But it's not easy to love those that I don't like or that I feel threatened by. And how many people here understand what the, the gal who did this little, I loved your speech about love because I don't know if you guys were listening back there, but what she was saying was right on the money. How many of us have been wounded and hurt? And we're like, man, I love my friends. No problem with that. And in college, more than any time in life, you've got this sense of, remember that show Friends back in the 90s? Some of you are too young to know that show. But many of us, like Chris and I, you know, I'm putting myself in Chris's age group. He's like a decade younger than I am. But, but, like, but if we had this show that was really popular, and some of you in college, you understand that. You've got like your six people, and you're always together. And 10 years down the road, people are going to be like, oh, I know you. What happened to your six friends? And you're like, I love these people with all my heart. Listen, it takes nothing to love those people because you just kind of like them. But true biblical love, the love that will radically change our world. Why, why are we trying to be fearless this week? It's because we want to be the kind of people that are able to love others, not just those who are nice to us, but the kind of people that Christ wanted us to love, the people who normally we would not love. And how many people even sitting here in your mind, you think about the categories of people that you may be like, well, I love those church people, but I can't, I mean, I don't understand those here that are heathen. Or you might be the opposite. You might be like, I get the heathen, I love them, but it's the church folks that I can't touch with a 10-foot pole. And you're like, man, I've been there, I've done that, and you've got your categories. They're dangerous, and I'm not sure how we can. I thought about love, and, and my first thought in that, in that point is this. You will never be, or, um, you, here we go. I want to make sure I got the right message here. You will never be willing to risk everything for others until you first clear up some misconceptions about love. This morning, I was trying to think about, about some examples that I could give you, and I was Googling some, some kind of weird love stories, and and you see, here's a misconception we have about love in 2016. Love is not, we, we think love is a choice that I can't control. So like I just fell in love. So you'll find yourself married in five, six, seven years, maybe some of you in a month, I don't know. And, or maybe some of you like me, 30 years later, you'll still be like kind of going, I'm not there yet. But, but, but you'll be like, I can't help it. I fell in love with him. And, and, and someone will look at you and be like, but you're married. And, and, and I was reading the story of this, I don't know if you guys are familiar with her, Mary Kay Letourneau, and I remember seeing that play out in the news. She's a 35-year-old teacher, fell in love with her 12-year-old student. Gag, of course. And yet today they're married. They waited this, they had the kids, she went to jail, and the statement that they make is, we couldn't help it, we fell in love. And we hear that and we go, that is sick. I read with all these last weeks of all that's in the news about love and what we can control and what we can't control and our misconception about love, I came across an article about, about brothers and sisters who are living together as married couples in Europe. And they're like, they're taking it to court, saying we can't help who we love. Listen, love is an action before it's a feeling and it's not something you cannot control. God has given us parameters of who to love and how to love and where to love. And he wants us to love as an action like David did, his enemy, and finding them and going beyond the call of duty to love those people. But not this feeling that just like comes and goes and one minute it's there and one minute it's not. That's not love. That's lust. That's make-believe love, but that's not love. That's Hollywood love, but that is not biblical 
sacrificial, unconditional, unstoppable, holy love that God wants us to have. Love is not a choice I can't control. Love is not a feeling that comes and goes. Love is not about my personal preference, who I like, who I don't. Love is not a compromise for the sake of comfort. There's a pattern now in our culture where, where we're like, well, I love them. I'm going to be nice to them. And so they might speak complete lies, but you'll be like, oh, it's fine. I agree with you because you don't want to fight with them. But, but it's not about fighting. It's about speaking the truth in love. I work in an environment where people, generally speaking, are not all about God. They get to be about God in a minute before when, they, when they're told about a bad diagnosis. They may have a 30-second segment where you have their attention, but overall, the environment in the ER is not known to be one of spiritual enrichment. And so there's ample room to practice this where you've got to learn if you're going to live in the world but not be of the world, you're going to have to share the truth of God's word and love. No one wants you to compromise the truth because they're, they're waiting to hear the truth. I've seen God do some crazy things in the ER where I work. I've I got to be honest with you. I've always had a, a sense of the mission field. Like if you can't be a missionary in your own town, how can you be a missionary abroad? And so many of you might feel here. You've been, I've seen you Tuesday, Thursday nighters. Tuesday nighters, man, you guys are serious about the Lord. You want to give him your life. And you're like, and you, so you have these ideas of where you want to go and what you want to be. If you're not living out God's will for you right now in your part-time jobs in the evening, in your dorms, in your communities, you're never going to do it when you go to Africa to be a missionary, whatever. Starts right here. I've seen God do this work in my ER. I, I, I didn't even notice that it was happening. It helps when you have a podcast and a blog and books, and, and it's not always easy. There's, you know, the ER is a hard environment. There's moments where it's easier to go and ask for forgiveness after than it is to try to control yourself in the moment. But, but over the years of being in one place and sharing the truth in love, people are have turned to the Lord, and word is spreading, and they listen to the truth. And I have a small group, and most of the people who come to it are from my ER. One of my closest friends right now, I'm serious, one of my closest friends is a lesbian married to another woman. And, 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 and how she has come to Christ is, is a story for another message. I, I need another half an hour to sit down and tell you that, and there's not enough time now. She's tuned into God's word. She's not where she needs to be yet, but she's certainly not where she used to be. And she loves the word, and she knows what the word teaches about everything. She is not confused about God's word. She's working through these things, and, and it's not that easy, and it takes time, but it takes boldness, and it takes love to not back down when you're put in the place where you have to say, that doesn't mean you go on your Facebook and go, this is right and this is wrong. Deal with it. That is not love. Facebook evangelism is Get rid of it. Delete your Facebook account if you're prone to Facebook evangelism because you will, you will lose more folks than you will gain them. Use Facebook to make a coffee date with someone. Use Facebook to renew your relationship with someone, but do not use Facebook to share the truth of the gospel because it sounds hurtful when you throw it out there without context. But get to know the people in your life. For some of you, it's even fellow students. Don't assume everyone who's at Judson loves the Lord. I went to Christian college. Some of the people I went to college with, their parents forced them. It was their rehab stint. They went to Christian college. And, and, and they, I'm telling you, I think about that now. And what an opportunity to live the kind of love that Christ would have us live. It's an action before it's a feeling. David looked and 
for Mephibosheth. And he said, show me the son of Jonathan, his enemy. Maybe Jonathan wasn't his enemy, but that whole family was the enemy of his kingdom. And so he finds a servant. And the servant says, oh, yeah, there is a guy. The servant Ziba says, says to him, there, uh, uh, there is still a son of Jonathan. And listen, listen. He says to him, he is crippled in his feet. No one told God about politically correct words. It's a harsh word when you see it in Scripture, isn't it? You ever wonder why the ESV didn't soften it up? He's disabled. But there's something about a king who has a right to kill the son of his former king, the enemy. Instead of killing him, it would have been right for David to kill the enemy. Instead, he, he's a cripple. And David says, bring him, bring him, bring him. I want to have a meal with him. It's unheard of. He sends to the house of Masher, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. This man is fascinating because... I've read this passage so many times, and this man, you go, what about him? I mean, this is the guy who housed the son of Jonathan. So this cripple, Mephibosheth, was living at this man's house, and, and it would have been risky for this man to host him because he was the king's enemy, and yet this guy, this guy had him in his house, and, 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 and David goes to get him, and, and maybe they would have thought that this was a ploy, but no, somehow they, they're in this place where they, they, Mephibosheth comes out, and you want to know what's going on in Mephibosheth's heart? Let me show you. It says... Uh, Mephibosheth came to David, and he answered, Behold, in verse 6, I am your servant. Where can a cripple run? Nowhere. David said to him, Do not fear. Perfect love casts out fear. See, David understood, first of all, that love is an action, not a feeling. But secondly, that love is vertical before it's horizontal. Earlier in verse 3, it says that, that when, when the king said to Ziba, is there still not someone of the house of Saul that I may show him the kindness of God? Do you know what's interesting about David is that in chapter 6 is the story of David where he comes to God and has a dream, and his dream is to build a house for God. And you see David in his utmost worship stance. Like he has a dream, and he says to God, and Nathan at first says, green light, you can do this. And then we talked about broken dreams, remember, a couple of days ago. And, and, and here's David. He's been told, no, you can't build the house. Your son will build the house. And David falls on his face, and he's like, who am I that you would love me, that you would do all this in my family? So David is so in tune to God's love for him. There is no human possible way for you and me to love those people who have hurt us outside of the love of Jesus Christ who has forgiven us everything. We spent the week talking about God's love. Is it any wonder that those of us who have received his love are so intensely passionate about him? We love Jesus because he first loved us. This is what 1 John says, and this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave his life as a payment for our sins. That's why we love him, because he looked at us, lost, separated from God. And Jesus says, I'm coming to earth for you. If for no one else, I'm coming to you. You guys could have all rejected him. He would have still come for me. And all the sin that I've ever done, that I ever will do, that I'm hap that's happening in my brokenness today. He's like, I'm dying for that. All he wants us to do is to receive the gift. This is love. He risked not knowing what we would do. He calls to us today. 
I had a friend this week who's been reading through John and said, but wait, 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 but so the Father calls us to him. If you read through the Gospel of John, it's so clear what God's plan for you is. And so she's teasing out these things, and she's like, but the Father calls us. If he doesn't call us, we can't, we can't come to him. And, and I haven't had a chance to respond, but I'll respond now and say, listen, the Father is calling you now. This is his invitation through me, through his word. And this is love, not that you loved God, but that he loves you. If you have not received his love, this is the day to receive it. This is his invitation to you through his word. And what do I do? You, you simply acknowledge your sinfulness, your, your inability to save yourself. There's no amount of good works that you and I could ever do. I save babies for a life. I mean, you try to beat that in terms of feel good, happy feelings. I clean feet when it's necessary. I mean, this is like the top of the pyramid of niceness. I still wear gloves. I've got some room for self-actualization, but for what it's worth. You can't be holy enough for a holy God. And only Christ on the cross, the perfect son of God, God himself put on flesh, came to earth so that you would have freedom so that you would have joy, so that you would have eternal peace. This is life eternal, that you would know Jesus. Your dreams come and go. Your riches come and go. Your looks come and go. But Christ never changes. He's with you forever. Reading Jeremiah, I just opened my Bible right before chapel, and I came across Jeremiah and just reminded Jeremiah 31. It says, I have loved you with an everlasting love, and underneath, are his everlasting arms. I mean, that God loves you. This is unbelievably life-changing. But it doesn't stop there. When you embrace his love for you, you understand that it's an action. God so loved the world that he what? That he gave his only begotten son. It's Tim Tebow weekend, right? The NFL weekend. We got to say his verse. For God so loved the world. Cam Newton's going to win. I didn't really predict that, but I am doing it now. God so loved. Any, any, any Panther fans? No, I'm a Packer. I like the Panthers. They all both start with a P. And No, no one? All right. Not, but I don't like Peyton Manning, so that rule doesn't really carry over. How many Panther fans here? No? You guys are all like, yeah, Colts? No? Okay, well, it is what it is. Some of you are like, what? The Super Bowl? I didn't know what was going on. We're into spiritual enrichment week. Like, what are you talking about? We just been tuned into you. Like, hey, it's a Sunday. Sunday's a big game. So, so for God, so what? For God, so love the world. Good job, Judson, you. Good job. That he what? That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him, that includes you up in the balcony. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have what? Eternal life. Look, look, not when you die and go to heaven. Yes, when you die and go to heaven, but right now. Because eternal life is having Jesus in your heart. Eternal life is understanding the hope and the love and the joy that comes from knowing Jesus. And you, in that sort of framework now, can look at Mephibosheth and say, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father. He's going to not just bring him to the table. He's given him all this land. This is stupid stuff, humanly speaking. He says, and you shall eat at my table always. No fear that Mephibosheth is going to stab him in the back. No fear that there will be a revolution. There's a confidence in David that it is God who has put him on the throne and no one 
outside of God and his will for him can change that. We're threatened in love, aren't we? We feel like there's someone who might take away the things that we want. We just like stay away from them. There's no fear in love. You can love anyone. You can risk boldly. It's safe for you to love your enemies because of who God is. See, we're sure of God no matter what. So it's an action before it's a feeling. It's vertical before it's horizontal. And lastly, I want you to pay attention to this. It's just as hard for them as it is for you. It's just as hard for them as it is for you. Think about it. When David went to Mephibosheth, it was hard for David. He had to risk a lot. But you see the response of Mephibosheth. He's a cripple. He's the, the weaker in the relationship. And he comes shaking. You can feel the fear in this conversation. See, we think, man, it's hard to love people I don't understand. And you put your category. Maybe to you it's the Muslims. Maybe to you it's the ISIS. Maybe to you it's the gays. Maybe it's to you it's the transgender. Maybe to you it's the Christians. Maybe to you it's the church leaders, the pastors. I don't know who it is that freaks you out in love. But listen to me. It's just as scary for them as it is for you. And when you understand that, it changes everything. When Mephibosheth came to David, he was scared. And it is our job to remind that person that we don't understand over and over and over again that we mean business. So how many times has God reached out to you? You know, I know. Patterns of sin, turning away from him, manipulating my relationship with him, and over and over again, he calls me. He chases me. Never gives up on me. Think about it. How often you've said, God, not now. Come back in a month. I'm enjoying this relationship too much. Let's check back in in a couple of weeks. And yet he comes over and over and over again. Maybe for you this week, it's been about God just coming back and pursuing you. Maybe you've never met him. He's pursuing you. Listen to me. How often has he had to knock at the door of your heart? And how often have you said no, and yet he still comes? And how often have you said yes to go back and do the thing that you weren't supposed to do and said you wouldn't do? We talked about failure this week, about saying, I'll never do this. And yet Jesus showed back up, having breakfast ready for you. That is revolutionary love that will change us forever. And that is the same kind of love that you and I must take to a world that doesn't know the Lord. There's an old song we used to sing back in the 80s before Chris Domlin was popular. There was a man named Steve Green. Lash, do you know that guy? You're too young for even Steve Green. He had a song. Some of you professors might know Steve Green. But then again, this is Judson Yu, so I don't know. You guys are like fringe, Christian. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just teasing. He used to sing a song called, People Need the Lord. I don't know who wrote it. I don't even think he wrote it. But it went, people need the Lord, people need the Lord. It was a, you couldn't hear the song without feeling the tug at your heart. You know, back in the 80s, people needed the Lord. Listen, they still need the Lord. I'm not saying this in any haughty way. I, I, listen, I woke up this morning. Do you know what the first thought in my heart was? It was, God, I need you today. God, I need you today. I got to finish spiritual formation week and go work a shift in the ER. All I want to do is veg, watch TV for an evening. 
I got to go put on my doctor clothes and be nice to people and wash feet. You guys are like, it's awful to be you. I know, I know, it is. No, it's not. And so I'm like, God, I need you. But I know, listen, listen, I'm confident that he is with me no matter what. So that even if I'm tired, even if I'm worn out, even if I don't have enough, that he's going to give me what I need. Now think about the people that you work with. How many of them have been given a diagnosis? Maybe their parents just told them they're getting a divorce. Maybe they've just gotten some news financially that's wrecking them. Maybe they're just coming to terms with their sexuality and they don't know what to do with it. Maybe they feel some of that transgender stuff that I told you. They are freaking out. They don't know what to do. Listen, we know the Lord and we know that he frees us from all, all things. Fear, he fears us. Anxiety, he fears us. Depression, we talked about that. He fears us. Hopelessness, he gives us hope. He is the living God. Jesus is the answer. And if you're not walking through your life with that banner, not just saying it, but living it out and showing the world what that love means, willing to take a few bruises, willing to walk with a limp because of the sake of the cross, then you're missing it. It's time for you to go back and remember what it is that Jesus has done for you. Listen, we don't do it perfectly. By God's grace, we are forgiven for the times that we fail. And how many of us are not so quick to list those failures? But man, even in that grace that we receive in our failures, there's a joy of knowing that we stand secure, a child of God. Listen, it's just as hard for them to receive your love as it is for you to give it those people who have wounded you where we expect punishment where where that person you're you're going to deal with they might be expecting punishment you need to be told over and over again you need to remind them over and over again where you expect exclusion from the table that person needs to be invited over and over and over again listen literally and figuratively have a party invite people you would never hang out with see what happens listen barriers are broken at the table it says, in, and I'm going to finish, then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands the servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at the king's table, at David's table, like one of the king's sons. David brought Mephibosheth in, not as a friend, not as a stranger, not as a pity person who, look at how great the king, he loves the servant, not like that. He brought him in as a son. He was equal not a project that needs to work. Not a, let's fix your legs because you're a cripple. No, none of that. In fact, it goes on to say, and, and Mephibosheth had a young son who was named Micah. My nephew Micah's here. That's cool. I just saw that. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem for, listen, for he ate always at the king's table. And it says, it ends with the sentence after he ate always at the king's table, period. And then it says, now he was lame in both his feet. A reminder, isn't it, of even our relationship with God. We walk to the table, crippled in our feet, lame, imperfect, broken, but listen, but invited as children of the king. Man, if that doesn't get you fearless in love, I don't know what will. I'm going to end with this story. I meant to share it on the first day. You know, I, I was thinking of illustrations, and I came across this one. There was a man named Janice Ruse, who was a young shoemaker back in 1945. And he, it was a time of the Nazi regime, and 
And he, he hid in his sister's farmhouse. It says in June of 1945, he hid and he didn't hear that the Nazi regime was overturned. He didn't hear that Hitler died. It's what, the illustration says that he was in hiding for 32 years. He says he used to cry when he heard happy voices outside, but dared not show himself even at his mother's funeral. One day, accidentally, someone in the village found him. And he says, if I had not been discovered, I would have remained in hiding. So I am happy that it happened. And what an illustration of the Christian life for so many people today. We're set free. We're invited to live in freedom, and yet we hide in our houses, afraid, afraid to cross our Jordans, afraid to, to have dreams that might be broken, afraid of depression and anxiety, afraid of committing our all to God, afraid of loving fearlessly. May God deliver us from this fearlessness, from this fear. And the only way he'll do it is through Jesus Christ, his son, who killed fear at the cross. Listen, church, it's time for us to embrace who Jesus is in our life and start living like we believe what Christ has told us in his word. I love Jesus with all my heart. My actions don't always show it, but look, over and over again, he, he pours his grace on me. If you remember anything about me, is that I love this man, Jesus, who is king of this world and king of the universe and who gave us a book to help us to know him. Say, so how do you leave a spiritual enrichment week? And someone told me yesterday that I've been finishing on time, unlike most chapel speakers. So today I might go a little late. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm going to actually finish in about 30 seconds. So go ahead and stand up as we finish up, as I always do. I want to say this before, too. I'm so grateful for the privilege of being here. I am so grateful for you all. Every one of you has opened your hearts to me this week. But more importantly, I believe, I see it, I sense that you've opened your hearts to the living God through the teaching of his word. Listen, that is a posture of humility. That is a posture of receiving what God wants for your life. So how do you leave a week like this, six messages in five days? I think you've got to let it sink in. Talk about it with each other. Have a party. Open up your table to one another. Get together as friends, as small groups, as get together with your professors. They are a source of great richness here. They've walked roads just like I have. They know things that they've learned through their own mistakes like I have. And they've learned the meaning of love. And they're here simply, I'm telling you, simply because they love you, Judson students. How do you leave spiritual enrichment week? You leave by making some decisions, by responding to God who is at work in your life. For some of you, it may mean for the first time in your life taking that first step of faith. It might feel scary to you. Like Mephibosheth, there comes a point where you have to decide, will you remain crippled in that man's house or will you come to the king's stable because you've been invited? And you take that first step and then that second. And for others of you who feel like you're crippled, it's about showing up day after day after day because you know that the king is not going to start eating until you get there. And slowly, slowly and with time, you'll understand that deep, deep love of God that no longer needs to call you to say, son, I'm waiting for you still. Daughter, you're invited. Why aren't you here yet? But slowly, day after day, understanding that that love of God will never stop calling you. And so you show up a little early and you stay a little longer and pretty soon you move in. You know what's awesome about that man, that Lodabar, that Mashir guy who used to have David, uh, uh, Mephibosheth in his house? Do you know that you, you hear about him a little bit later uh, towards the middle of 2 Samuel when David almost was overturned by Absalom, his son? He escaped from the kingdom for a while. And in that time, do you know where he went and hid? 
in the house of Mesher of Lodabar, the impact of the love that David showed to Mephibosheth was so deep that this man who was housing the enemy of the king, maybe secretly, maybe fearfully, was so changed that when the king needed a place to stay, that man was like, come to my house. You talk about being world changers. It starts when you receive God's love and you let it free you and you let it change you and you let it change the world that we live in. And that is when people will look at you and say, we know that you're a Christian because of your love. And I don't know about you, but that's where I want to live. And so, God, we thank you with all of our hearts from the depth of our soul that you are a God who is still pursuing us even in this moment. And so, Father, we beg you now for the man of woman or woman here who's still wrestling with whether they should feel safe in your presence. God, destroy that stronghold that would make them think for a second that, you're, that you have any anger for them. God, you are love. I pray for a revival to deepen in the hearts of these students. I pray for life-changing decisions. I pray, God, for the leadership here. I pray you will strengthen them and make them a light in the community. I pray for the teachers, God. I pray that you would give them boldness. I pray, Father, that the stories at Judson would roam around the city of Chicago, that there would be revival in this town because of what has happened here this week. God, I pray that Jesus Christ would be magnified first and foremost. You are the reason that we're here, and you are the reason that we do what we do. And so we give you all of the honor and the glory and the praise and father we worship before you because you are our rightful king but even more you are our father and so father thank you keep doing the things that you're doing in our life so that we might have more opportunities to give you the praise god i just love you so much and thank you that first you loved me oh god i pray that you would continue to be magnified in this world and that you would come quickly lord jesus in jesus name i pray well, aren't you glad you listened? I don't know about you, but I needed this reminder that God is greater than my fears. And so if you've enjoyed this message, we'd love for you to share it with your friends. So we'd also love for you to let us know. Email me at lena at livingwithbower.org. But more importantly, we'd love to meet you in a deeper and more intimate way on our Facebook community page. Uh, again, just go to livingwithpower.org. As soon as you land there, you'll see a blue box that says, join our community. It's free. Every Thursday, I teach there live, but we have all kinds of interactive things there for you to grow closer to God and to get to know His Word more. Hey, we're so glad you came today. Know that we'll be praying for you. We love you, and we pray that God will continue to manifest Himself into your life in greater ways and in a more intimate uh, fashion. Uh, I'll see you guys next week. For now, enjoy the day, and thanks for tuning in.